Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Sunshine Podcast, where we share faith, have some fun, and strive to add a little sunshine to your day. I am your host, Jason Bringhurst. Welcome, everybody. As usual, I am recording from the lovely town of Port Angeles, Washington. And have I ever mentioned that it's nice here? Because it it is. (laughs) I just have to do that every now and then, pretty much every episode. Uh, So people will come visit. We live, you know, really far away, Uh, (laughs) like really, really far away. If you look on a map, we're so far away. But, uh, you know, there's a good to that. It's nice to kind of be remote sometimes. So there are things that I really like about being out here in in this place. And it's, you know, it is a small town. There's only one high school here and uh, it doesn't even have its own football stadium. I recently visited the newly rebuilt high school where I attended in Midvale, Utah, and if you've driven by Hillcrest High School, you know what I'm talking about. It's the st- state-of-the-art-looking uh, uh, football field, more like a college stadium. I mean, it's really nice. Here in Port Angeles, the high school plays at a community field called Civic Field, and it's nice. Um, it has some bleachers, uh, and uh, at one end is actually a baseball field. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, when the football makes its way down to this end of the field, uh, they're actually playing on the baseball diamond, the dirt part uh, of the baseball diamond. And and uh, I know this because I just went to my first uh, high school football game this past week to watch and root for my son, Gavin, who plays in the band. I haven't contributed many athletic genes to our kids' gene pool, but they're all great at music. And again, Probably not for me, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's all right. It was fun, and, and uh, Gavin did well in, in the band, and the band was fun, and and, uh, and Port Angeles High School won. Um, we we were able to, to take the win, and that's great, you know. Um, this episode is not about football, uh, but, you know, we can't go without mentioning that there was another team that won this week that was really great, too, and that was BYU. BYU uh, won the game. Uh, Saturday night, um, they played a little, uh, little university up north, University of Utah. And yes, uh, BYU won. Did I say that? I think I mentioned that. BYU won. <laughs> I have to say that a number of times because they haven't won uh, <laughs> against the University of Utah since 2009. So you can do the math and that's over a year or two. So, <laughs> but we won. We won. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all sand washed into the sea or some phrase that people would say in situations like this. So anyway, <laughs> today's show, I don't talk about football. I don't think at all anymore. So uh, <laughs> I think that I only talk about a relative of mine uh, who knew Oliver Cowdery. So why don't we get to it? Do you have pioneer ancestors who were members of the church while Joseph Smith was alive? My uh, great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob Gates, was uh, one of these pioneer ancestors. Um, he, he actually knew uh, Joseph Smith personally. He knew Oliver Cowdery. And I'm going to talk about this today. Um, this always intrigues me, too, because when I think about it, you know, he... He interacted with, with the prophet Joseph Smith. Um, he was in the thick of the restoration. And uh, he actually saw Joseph Smith on his horse uh, heading to Carthage, Illinois, before the martyrdom. Um, there's a neat story about him talking to Al- Oliver Cowdery uh, before Oliver's death. Uh, and some say that 
Oliver Cowdery was the second most important figure of the Restoration. Uh, he was a scribe during the translation of the Book of Mormon. He received the priesthood with Joseph Smith uh, by the hand of John the Baptist. And a little bit later, they received the Melchizedek priesthood under the hands of Peter, James, and John. He was the second elder in the church. He was at the Kirtland Temple when the Savior came and accepted the temple that they had built. And when priesthood keys were received, uh, he he's a, a witness uh, to the Book of Mormon, to the gold plates in the Book of Mormon. He, he's, he's on the front page. He ended up leaving the church despite all this. Uh, but late in his life, he did return to the church. And all these years while he was out of the church, he actually never denied it, and he never discredited Joseph Smith. Uh, the story I want to share is uh, uh, called The Testimony of Jacob Gates. And Jacob Gates, uh, while he was on his way uh, to England as a missionary in 1849, he stopped in the town of Richmond, uh, where at that time Oliver Cowdery was living. And uh, he had heard that Oliver was not in very good health, and he wanted to uh, stop in and, and see how he's doing and, and talk to him. So they had been you know, friends in, in earlier days, and, and he went to his home to, to see him. And as they were talking, uh, their conversation drifted to the early church history and their mutual experiences uh, with the very uh, turbulent times in Missouri and Illinois. And uh, finally, Jake, uh, Jacob Gates, my, my ancestor, my great-great-great-grandfather, asks him the question. He says, Oliver, I want you to tell me the whole truth about your testimony concerning the Book of Mormon, the testimony that you sent forth to the world over your signature and found this found in the, the front of the Book of Mormon. Was your testimony based on a dream or was it the imagination of your mind? Was it an illusion? Was it a myth? Tell me truthfully. So this question seemed to touch Oliver Cowdery uh, very deeply. He didn't say anything. He just got up from his chair and he went over to the bookcase and he took down his Book of Mormon, the first edition Book of Mormon, and he turned it to the testimony of the three witnesses. And uh, it said that he read it in the most solemn manner, uh, so that the words that he signed his name to uh, nearly 20 years before that. So he, he reads this, and then he turns around to my great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob Gates, and he says, Jacob, I want you to remember what I say to you. I'm a dying man, and what would it profit me to tell you a lie? And he says, I know that this book, the Book of Mormon, was translated by the gift and the power of God. My eyes saw, my ears heard, and my understanding was touched, and I know that whereof I testified is true. It was no dream. It was no vain imagination of the mind. It was real. So then Jacob Gates asks Oliver about the experience in receiving the priesthood and uh, having the, the angel, John the Baptist, uh, put his hands on his head. And he answered and said, Jacob, I felt the hand of the angel on my head as plainly as I could feel yours, and I could hear his voice as I now hear yours. And then Jacob asks the question, if all that you tell me is true, 
why did you leave the church? Oliver made a very simple explanation, and he said, When I left the church, I felt wicked. I felt like shedding blood. But I've got all over that now. Well, we don't know all the reasons why Oliver left the church. Feelings must have been hurt. Um, Oliver Cowdery never became an enemy to the church, though. Uh, in 1838, around there, he left the church. This story uh, with my great-great-great-grandfather uh, happened in 1849, so about 11 years later. Uh, in 1848, um, his heart had, had already softened, apparently. Um, Oliver Cowdery stopped at a meeting in Council Bluffs, Iowa, where it's recorded that he came into this meeting and he was invited to bear his testimony. And he went and bore his testimony, and it touched a lot of people who were there. And, and a couple of them recorded this uh, about what he said. And while he was there in Iowa, he appeared before the church officials there. And uh, he said, brethren, for a number of years, I've been separated from you, and I now desire to come back. I wish to humbly be in your midst. I seek no station. I only wish to be identified with you. I wish to become a member of the church again. I come humbly and throw myself upon the decision of this body, knowing, as I do, that their decisions are right and should be obeyed. So he was rebaptized by Orson Hyde. Uh, and then, not long after, 1850, uh, he was on his deathbed. Uh, Phineas Young was there. David Whitmore uh, and other Whitmer family members were there at his deathbed. And um, again, Oliver Cowdery is uh, recorded that he bore his testimony of the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the priesthood. In his words, he said, I wrote it myself as it fell from the lips of the prophet, meaning he wrote down the translation as Joseph Smith would say the words. So a couple takeaways I have from this. Uh, one, these are real people. Growing up, hearing names and stories from the 1800s, I always, it always just seemed like, I don't know, characters from like a Western movie. They were, you know, not, not real to me, but these were actual people who lived. They were just regular people. Um, they were asked to do extraordinary things. I think I understand a little more now, as I have been asked to serve as a bishop, people expect a lot from you. And my wife hears it all the time. I don't think I'm really cut out for a lot of this. I'm just someone who actually would rather be sharing a meal with some people, telling funny stories, and not dealing with problems, not organizing events or being in the spotlight. I'm so fine being on the sideline, like way, way on the sideline, but I have been called, and so I have, to, I have to do it. I have to put my trust in the Lord and let him do his work through me. Um, that's just the same one as a missionary. Um, somehow you rise to the calling, and, and uh, God works with you. When uh, someone meets with me and they leave feeling better, I'm pretty sure it's because the Spirit has comforted them in a special way that I could not. 
I do very little on my own. So in summary, uh, these early church leaders um, and some of them who had fallen away, uh, they were just regular people and we shouldn't be too judgmental or too critical. They were just doing the best that they could. My second takeaway from this is that I think that the vast majority of those who leave the church will either in this life or the next life come back to the church. At the end of the day, it's all true. All of it. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is his gospel. It is his plan of salvation that allows us to return to him and our heavenly father through the grace of God and through his atoning sacrifice. The things that I see dividing people are mostly not at the core of the gospel or the church. Uh, every, every now and then there is something that we just don't have the answers for. Um, in fact, Elder Bednar recently shared an experience that he had at a funeral of a missionary uh, who had died while serving. And he said that the, the younger sister to this missionary asked him, why did God let this happen? And Elder Bednar said, I don't know, but I do know that God knows. And I think sometimes that's, that's the answer that we have, and that's, that's all we have for some questions. God does know the answer. We may need faith to wait on him. But as, as I said, I think that the majority of those who have left the church will come back because it is true. God does love each of us. And it's, it's the plan of salvation for all of us, for all of his children. It's not supposed to be just for a select few. It's for all of us. So somehow I think we're all at least most of us are going to make our way back either in this life or the next life. I'll end today's episode with the last verse of uh, the hymn, Now Let Us Rejoice. I love the hymns of the church. I love to sing them. I love the tabernacle choir. I love hearing the hymns. They just, uh, they touch me in a way that is, is uh, I can't explain. Music just has a way that, that it touches my soul. This uh, particular hymn says, in faith will rely on the arm of Jehovah, this is verse 3 in the hymn, to guide through these last days of trouble and gloom. And after the scourges and harvest are over, will rise with the just when the Savior doth come. Then all that was promised the saints will be given, and they will be crowned with the angels of heaven. And earth will appear as the Garden of Eden, and Christ and his people will ever be one. My friends, I look forward to the day when we shall all be one. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope that we've added a little bit of sunshine to your day. If you like this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and give us a fantastic review in whatever podcast platform you listen to, and especially in Apple Podcasts. It's a small step, but it sure makes a big difference in how we show up when people are searching for good content. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe, and then you'll get the notification when other episodes come out. And as always, we would love for you to share it on social media so others can find us, or if you think a friend would enjoy it, just share it with them. That would be great. That would be fantastic. Well, that's about it for this episode. So until next time, cheers from the Pacific Northwest.